0: What's on God's heart tonight is the ministry of reconciliation. It means to settle or resolve differences. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That it was the whole reason why Jesus came to Earth, and it began with Him. We're going to go to uh, Colossians chapter one, verse fifteen. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him God created everything, in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else and He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. So you see, the the ministry of reconciliation is what Jesus came to earth for. He came to restore harmony between us and God. He came to settle or resolve the differences between us, where we were at, and Himself. He wanted to close the gap and bring us into intimacy with Him. One of the things that you need to understand about it is that God is trying to draw us close to Himself. That's the ministry of reconciliation, to bring us into harmony with His heart and His desires. And so when we sang that song, Jesus All for Jesus, that's really all about the ministry of reconciliation, of bringing our desires, our will, our emotions, everything that we are in alignment with God, Because it's only when that happens that we really experience real life. Joy and peace and the fullness of life. Everything we're looking for is in Christ. Everything that you long for in your heart of hearts is in God. And as you're reconciled with God, you'll begin to see that more clearly. The closer you come to God, the more you'll see that everything He has is good. It's like Matthew. God's reconciling Matthew to Himself by showing him that the fullness of life in marriage is found in Christ. Marriage doesn't work outside of God. When you're outside of God or you're in your flesh, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out or anybody who's been married or even seen somebody who's married, that if you try and do marriage in your flesh, it's doomed. It's doomed. But in Christ, it's beautiful. And I can testify the same thing about my wife. She's the most beautiful woman on earth. I'm sorry. For all you other married and single guys, she's taken. She is, and I feel it. Every day I feel it, and it's real. I don't have to make it up. I don't have to go, ooh, I should be saying this. No, it flows. It's flowing from God through me to my wife. There's nothing like that. I've been in plenty of relationships. There's nothing ever like the one I have with my wife in covenant with God. Nothing comes even close to it. Those are the places that He wants to take us. God wants to draw Himself close to us in alignment with us, And we know from some of the earlier teachings, some of you guys who haven't been here didn't get the advantage of these, but we'll come back to this one, believe me. God's holy. He's holy. He is absolutely holy. He is totally holy. He's so holy that you would melt in His presence. That's how holy He is. There's nothing that can stand in the presence of God, in the fullness of God's presence. That's why He said to Moses, I'm going to cover your eyes or you'll die. (laughs) Because you can't handle the truth. Jack Nicholson said that once in a movie, but the truth is you can't handle this truth. The truth of God's holiness. So the closer that we get to Him, the more He wants to deal with our sin and those strongholds in our life. And if we're unwilling to deal with those, we can't get any closer to the Lord. They actually will hold us back from coming into the fullness of God's presence. And so part of that reconciliation between God and us is not just... What Jesus did, which opened the door to the fullness of it. But it's us daily seeking God and asking God to show us areas of our life that are separating us from Him. And as He shows us being willing to deal with them. Not by our own power. It's not something that we can do. Nobody can do Christianity by their own power. That's religion. But by the power of God, we can do it. And He's willing to do it with us. All we got to do is say Yes. If you read Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 38, Peter describes the need for holiness, and he does it in this way. Basically, repentance is how we get to holiness. God's not looking for perfection from us, but when we make mistakes, He's asking for repentance. He's saying, now that I've shown you in this area, we had a brother just today who got some ministry in this area. Do you mind if I share, Dan? Dan has been into talk radio and listening to talk radio And tonight the Lord showed him that he's more interested in Dan spending time with him, listening to him, than He is him listening to Rush Limbaugh. Because if he's listening to God, then he's going to get instructions about what God wants him to do today, instead of what Rush Limbaugh thinks about the DNC convention. The devil wants nothing more than to get you guys in front of a TV or a video game or something else to get you plugged into the matrix, because every hour you spend in front of that thing is one hour less you're going to do anything for the kingdom. So He's perfectly happy leaving you alone watching American Idol or whatever else it might be. And I'm not just dissing on that. I'm just saying, hey man, God, what God's got for you is so much better than American Idol that you're going to be glad for every hour of American Idol you skipped and every hour you went out to the Republican National Convention to praise somebody into the kingdom. Because on that day, when God's looking at your whole life, every hour you spent watching American Idol is going to burn away like dust, like that. In one second, you're going to look back on every single hour and you're going to say, why did I do it? Why did I spend my life that way? And the only things that are going to be left over that are going to stand as a monument to your life forever, forever, are the things you did in obedience to God. Those are the only things that are going to stand on that day. So you tell me, is it worth 70 or 80 years of a good time according to the world? Or is it worth 500,000 years from now? Is it going to matter whether you you know, got on the internet and surfed internet porn or, or went out and, and busied yourself and went out to a bar and had a good time with your friends? Is that going to matter 500,000 years from now? 500,000 years from now? I mean, can we even fathom that amount of time? 500,000 years from now, are we going to care about getting a second helping of tacos at Men on Fire? Or are the things that are going to stand there forever going to be those things where we said, you know what, God, I'm going to go to big camp. I really feel like you're tugging at me. I'm going to be at big camp. And I'm going to do. I don't know what you've got for me there, but I'm just going to be in obedience to you. I guarantee on that day, what happens at Big Camp will be there on the big screen, in front of everybody, forever. Because we got a lot of time to watch movies of people's lives. So, what God is calling us to do is to simply be willing to uh, turn from these things that He's showing us, like He showed Dan. Now, Dan's got a choice. Next time he's tempted to go listen to talk radio, he can choose to go ask God whether that's where he wants him to be, or he can just kind of override it and go, la la can't hear you. I'm going to go listen to talk radio. And between God and him, by the grace of God, he'll be able to say, you know what, I listened to the Lord and I called a brother who needed prayer and I was there right at the right time for him and God did a deep, deep work in him. Out of Acts chapter 2.38, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God. That's what he's asking us to do. Then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So what I'm suggesting to you guys is that that is not a one-time thing. It's not a you did it at the point where you gave your life to God. It's something that God's working out in us every single day. Every single day, God's willing to show us new stuff that's in the way of our relationship with Him. And he's asking us to live that life of repentance. You know what happens when you live that lifestyle of repentance? You live your life in the presence of God. You're always in the presence of God. You don't have to go to church and get super juiced up in worship to be in the presence of God. You're always in the presence of God. You live life in the presence of God. It's possible. I'm telling you, it's possible. I'm not totally there yet, man, but I try as much as I can. I do a lot of repenting. I do a lot of repenting because God's holy. Repenting is your friend. It's not a dirty word. It's the best thing that could happen to you. In fact, real repentance comes from God. It's not something we can generate. We can't go, oh, I'm so sorry. No, you're not convincing anybody. It it doesn't even have to be emotional. It can just be, God, I see what you're telling me, and I see the way I'm going, and I'm going to turn. That's literally what it means in Greek, is to turn away from that stuff that's been really what is... I mean, why do you want to hold on to your sin? You know what sin is? It's like cancer. It's just killing you. That's what God's doing. A lot of us have a wrong idea of what God's doing. It's almost like we think, well, God, we're here in this big candy store and You're telling us we can't touch anything. You know, that's not cool. I want to touch and eat all the candy. When in reality what's happening is God is walking into a cancer ward... And he's saying, you guys are sick and you need healing. Your heads are messed up because you've been watching too much MTV. And MTV's telling you what life is all about and where to find life. And you keep running after that stuff and every time you run after it, it comes up empty and short and you come up hurt and destroyed. I have the way to real life. You want to see something amazing? Follow me. Follow me. That's what repenting is all about. So God is in the process of, He wants to reconcile us to Himself through repentance, through showing us areas of our life that are inconsistent with Him. And when we bring our lives into conformity with Him, that's when we find fullness of life. That's when our hearts really get filled up. You can look and try and get fullness of life a lot of places. Women, drugs, prosperity, prosperity, you know, buying, getting lots of stuff, having the coolest cars, the coolest suits. I did it, man. I did it. I did it all. I tried it all. I mean, I i mean, I can save you a long trip and just tell you that it doesn't lead to life. I'll save you a lot of heartache and headache and just tell you and there's a lot of guys in here. Don't be one of those guys that's got to constantly put your hand on the stove to figure out that it's hot and it'll burn you. Okay? Don't be one of those geniuses. Okay? Be one of the guys who can watch the guys that do that and go, wow, that looks hot. I think I'll avoid that. That's all God is saying. He's saying, listen to me. I brought you to this group so you can listen to testimonies from real guys who've been idiots. Tell you the stories of how idiotic they've been so you can avoid being idiotic. Okay? Because I love you, I love you that much, I will tell you the right way to go about doing this. And even if it's not as quick and you don't get the immediate satisfaction you think you get from doing it that way, you're going you're to get lasting fruit and power and life the way I'm doing it. And not only that, you're going to live forever. That's kind of a nice little bonus, isn't it? You get to live forever in the presence of the Lord. Wow. But there's something else that God wants to show us. That's a part of being reconciled to God is that is walking in holiness and letting God show us what's going on in our lives. Um, let's go to Romans 12. Romans 12, chapter 4. And this is the way the NLT renders it. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. And I think what God wants us to understand is that our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with other believers. It's connected completely with other believers. Why? Because they are part of God. Every single one of you guys is part of the body. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are part of His body. His Spirit is dwelling in you, the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you are, if you are in discord, if I'm in discord with Tom, I'm in discord with God. Because he is part of God's body, our, we represent the parts of His physical body, and that's what God wants to show us: is that we can't think that our relationship with God is going to be unaffected by our wrong relationships with other believers. Here he says it—he says it very well—in First in John chapter four. Let's go there, nineteen to twenty-one. So here we see that there's a direct connection between loving God and loving our brothers and sisters. He's making it very clear. That if we say we love God, but we don't love a brother and sister, we're not living in the truth. Are you see how He's connecting the love of our brothers and sisters in Christ with the love of God? They're totally connected. OK. I say that because there's many of us in here who may have broken relationships with other believers, and I believe what God wants to do is bring restoration to those relationships. Okay, That's one group that we need to be connected with. Because if we're not reconciled to that person, in a sense, we're not fully reconciled with God. Okay? Um, We're going to continue on. Go to 2 Corinthians, um, verse 19. I'm going to have Jared read that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Tell me when you're at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to say this that it's not just other believers that God wants us reconciled with. Ultimately, He wants us reconciled with everyone in our lives. He doesn't want any broken relationships. And He's saying that because He's also using us as instruments to reconcile people who don't know God to Himself. Remember, we weren't reconciled to God until we came to faith in Christ. And so it's through us that God wants to call others that don't know God to Himself. So the ministry of reconciliation, we are God's ambassadors being sent to reconcile people who don't know Him to Him, to point them to Him. Go ahead and read verse 19-21. to So essentially what we're doing is we are coming to others through our lives, through our actions, through our actions and through our testimony. And we are pleading with people to come back to God. That is what we, we are literally being sent as reconcilers from, for people who don't know the Lord back to Himself through the way we live our lives and through the things that we do in obedience to Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read here in verse 11 through 20. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. By the way, that's us for most of us. Do we have any Messianic Jews in here? any messianic jews okay that's all of us then (laughs) we're gentiles we do have a couple messianic jewish guys that come to this group so so we were called uncircumcised heathens by the jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts in those days you were living apart from christ you were excluded from citizenship among the people of israel and you did not know the covenant promises god had made to them you lived in this world without god and without hope but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in His own body on the cross He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. It continues on, He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in Himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body... Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of His death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. So here now you see God reconciling the Jews and the Gentiles and saying, no, now they're one people. This was His whole purpose for being, was to reconcile people to Himself and to reconcile people to each other in Him. Okay? So this isn't like a small theme, this is like a core theme of the Gospel and of His message. And again, in Galatians 3, we're not going to go to that Scripture, but it talks about now there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or master. You guys are familiar with that Scripture. Now we're all one in Christ, male or female. He was closing the gender gap, closing the class gap, closing the the nationality gap. He was just all divisions He came to get rid of. If you're willing to give your life to God, He's washing it all clean. He's saying, level playing field. Everybody's the same in my eyes. If they acknowledge and surrender to my son, the slate is clean and they're all reconciled to one another. So you can imagine how much it's on his heart that we don't reflect division. We're supposed to reflect that unity. In fact, Jesus prayed in one of his final most powerful prayers in the garden was, Father, let, them, let the love be in them. Let the love that they have for one another show the world that I was your son. So it's actually our love for one another and the witness of that to the world that's supposed to convince people who don't know God that He's real. Can you imagine what they're thinking? Are we there yet? We're not even there yet in this room. But with God we can be there. But I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like us serving each other, getting into each other, and investing in each other's lives. This is how strongly God feels about it. Go to Matthew chapter 5. how strongly God feels about us being reconciled to our brothers. If you don't think it affects your relationship with God, I want you to really be challenged by this Word. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. The Word of the Lord. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple... Now, a sacrifice at the altar in the temple for us New Testament believers is, if you're going to God and you want to worship God, if you're going to worship God and suddenly you remember that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Are you seeing this? This is how big a deal it is to him. Don't come before me and worship me if you're not right, and he's not saying, do you have something against them? If they think, if they There's something wrong with you or there's something not right with you. If they think, if you remember they have something against you, they might, even if they think, even if it's wrong. He's saying, drop what you're doing, go back, get reconciled with that person, then come back and offer up your worship. Do you think God's taking this seriously? Because I don't know about you, but I mean, he loves worship. But he's saying, don't offer me that kind of worship. Don't offer me that worship. If you're not right with your brothers, don't come before me and offer up worship. That's not the kind of worship I'm looking for. I'm looking for worship that's pure when your heart is reconciled with those around you. Okay. Now, don't fall into another ditch, which is, I mean, all of this has to be led by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying if there's someone in your life that the Lord has said, leave that person for now. And don't open up that wound. I'm not saying that. But you better have a word from the Lord if you're not seeking reconciliation. If you haven't had a word from the Lord that says don't go reconcile, then it's pretty clear what God's heart is on the matter. Okay? This is so important that it it, it starts with husband and wife relationships. And I'm going to share this because I know we've got married guys in here and this is incredibly important. I'm going to tell you the reason why I have the relationship I do with my wife is because God has emblazoned this principle in my heart. God wants husbands and wives living in harmony with each other. When we're not in harmony with our spouses, our relationship with God is hindered. It is hindered. If you go into 1 Peter 3.7, let's go there. 1 Peter 3.7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Are you seeing this? God is basically telling us, don't come to Me if you're not right with your wife. Don't even try and come to Me. And I'm going to tell you from personal experience, I've tried. I've tried to go to the Lord when I'm not right with my wife. And I'll tell you what He tells me. Go reconcile with your wife. And I'm going to tell you what it looks like. Just hang on, Lucas. And I'm going to tell you what it looks like. What it looks like is this. For those of you who don't know, I started out my marriage in a pretty rocky way. All of our junk came out on the table right away. And we found out, wow, this is like oil and water. I mean, it was just complete Combustion. That's what happened when my wife and I got slammed together. And, and I remember I was about six months into my marriage and I was sick. I never got sick, but I was sick. And, I was, and, I, and God woke me up at like three in the morning. And I went downstairs and started reading the scriptures. And all of a sudden, when I'm reading the scriptures, He started talking to me about something completely unrelated to what I was reading. And he began to show me a picture and he began speaking to me in an inaudible voice but just how he gives you like a knowing in your spirit and you know it's coming from the Lord and he was speaking to me and, and what I saw was a checking account ledger and the Lord showed me that what I had been doing is every time my wife did something to offend me I was writing it down in this ledger and I was keeping an account of all of her wrongs. And the Lord told me the enemy can see the things that you're writing down and he uses them to continue to push buttons and to get you to lose your temper, to become angry. He quickens the anger so it doesn't take even a normal amount of stuff to get you to to fire off on your wife. And he said, if you don't erase this ledger, your marriage will be destroyed. That's what he told me. And I'm like, but God, I mean, she did all those things. I mean, we should keep track of that, shouldn't we? Shouldn't, shouldn't somebody keep track of this stuff? I mean, she needs to know. And he wasn't interested. He wasn't interested in me keeping track of the things my wife had done me wrong. He said, if, if you want to have your marriage, you will have these things erased. And the things on your and by the way, you don't have the power to forgive her in the way that you need to for these things to literally be gone off the books. And he began ministering to me about forgiveness and how he forgives. And he said, Stephen, if I kept a ledger of everything you did wrong, you'd never make it into the kingdom. He said, you need to come to me in the same way you come to me and ask for forgiveness for your sins. You need to come and ask for me to help you forgive your wife for her sins against you. And of course, we all know the Lord's Prayer. If we don't forgive those who sin against us, he doesn't forgive us. It's just a spiritual principle. It doesn't matter what you think. You know, it's kind of like saying, well, I don't believe in gravity. And here we are pinned to the earth. You know, I mean, that's the, that's the effectiveness of you saying, I don't believe in that. You know, it is a spiritual principle. If you don't forgive, God doesn't forgive you and it separates you from God. So it's got a direct connection to your relationship with God. And so I said, well, like how often do I have to do this? Like once every quarter? And he, and he said, how about more often than that? I go, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, like every, I mean, how about every month? No. Every day? A few times a day? And the answer that came back was as often as it takes. The more often that you do that and you come to me and you ask me to help you forgive your wife, you notice how he didn't say, I want you to forgive. He said, Come and ask me to help you forgive. Because you don't have the power within yourself. And I remember one time after I was kind of walking in the spiritual principle and I was sitting out on the steps at my mother-in-law's, where we lived, by the way, for our whole first year of marriage. If you guys are interested in talking about trials, I've got some to share with you about living with my mother-in-law in a loft where she could look over her bedroom wall down into our bedroom. So I went out on the steps and I could just feel the anger, the anger boiling. And then I heard the Lord say, You need to forgive her. And I said, No, I don't want to. And I felt like crap. I mean, I just felt that, you know, that anger, that fleshy self pity because of what I was enduring for her sake. Doesn't she know how many times I've, I've come and asked for forgiveness for this same stuff? Doesn't she need to know that? And, but, and doesn't she know how many times? And then God started getting me into the practice of. Not only so, so he got me to start go, not only asking to help forgive, but then he said, now I want you to go and apologize to your wife for what you did. And I go, apologize for what? It was totally her. And then I'd wait and I wouldn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden he would drop in my spirit, actually, you cursed your wife. You, you had ungodly anger in your heart towards your wife. You committed violence against your wife. And I want you to go and apologize to her. So then I started doing this. Then I would go to my wife and I would apologize. And I would give her about five minutes to start apologizing back for all the stuff she did. And if she didn't, then I'd, bam! I'd be right back on her. And then I'd have to go back to God and I'd be like, what? And he'd say, alright, let's try this again. The kind of reconciliation I'm looking for is you go not expecting anything in return. So then I did that for a while and that pissed me off. (laughs) Because then I'd go do it and I'd wait five minutes and I wouldn't say anything. And then I'd go back and I'd be mad at God. I'd be like, when are you going to fix this woman? (laughs) Then God started telling me that he wanted me to repent on behalf of my wife to him without letting her know. Because after, after a while I would start kind of slipping it out that I was repenting for her just to kind of let her know. I'd go and then I'd ask God to help me forgive her. And then I'd go to her and I'd apologize for what I did wrong. And then I'd go back to God and I'd repent for her sins. And then when we were sitting just having casual conversations, she got mildly irritated and go, you have no idea how much I repent for you. (laughs) I just threw it all away, man. I just threw it all away in that moment. So you see, what God's interested in is us doing that kind of work behind the scenes where nobody may know, nobody may know Husbands, your wives may never know. If they never know, I guarantee you the transformation that takes place in them will happen a lot faster. Because you want to see God change a woman? You do all the things that I'm describing to you in obedience to God, and she will be transformed. There's no way God will just He will deal with her. And my wife has got stories about her being in rebellion to God. I kid you not, honey, I'm going to tell this, this is for the kingdom this humiliating moment for you where she was literally in the the bathroom puking and just getting violently ill and in the middle of it, the Lord spoke to her and said, you need to obey your husband. Whoa. When I watched God do that to my wife, I got a new profound fear of God. And she came to me after that and she repented. I mean, she was a changed woman. See, when God gets a hold of a woman, He will do a work that cannot be undone. So that even if you are the fleshiest, most worst husband you could possibly be, she will be there standing in God's presence, praying you back into His presence. That's when God does a work. When God picks your wife, it'll be a wife that can't... It'll be so far beyond your wildest expectations. Now I'm talking to you single guys. It'll be so far beyond your wildest expectations. But guess what? You've got to die to yourself to get to that place. When you start acting like Jesus in your relationships, then the people around you will start changing. But God's more interested in you being right with Him and right with the other people than He is in them. He's more interested in you getting right with him than he is in taking care of the speck in that person's eye. Sound familiar? So what we're here to do is to ask God, starting with our marriage relationships and moving out from there, what are the logs in our eye? And how do you want us to react and respond differently to our wives? and to the rest of the people around us, because we're beginning to see the connection between our relationships with people and our relationship with you. If you haven't heard from God, if you're struggling, you want to hear from God, take a look at your relationships. How do they look? How do your relationships look? Are they godly? Are they healthy? Should it shock us then that our relationship with God is not so healthy and not so right? I think this is one of the keys that brings us into a deeper place of intimacy with God. Fathers and sons, God's, God also wants to reconcile parents to their children. I want you to go to Malachi chapter 4. This is the last, the last book of the Old Testament. Verses 5 and 6. And the NLT says this, Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives, the day when God comes and judges the earth. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. This is the last thing out of God's mouth for 400 years before Christ comes. And Christ came so that fathers would be reconciled with their children. How many people had any problems with their parents growing up? Any brokenness or messed upness in that relationship? Anyone? Anyone? Come on, raise your hand, man. Don't be shy. I mean, you're in a crowd of everybody. Okay. So that's comforting, isn't it? The enemy in this fallen world has set itself on destroying families. He tries to target that family and bring hurts upon us through our parents even, through the ungodly acts of our parents. Bring trauma, bring demonization, bring hurts upon our hearts that are with us for all of our days. And so God and Christ, what Christ's heart is to do is to restore those relationships, to restore those relationships where they're broken so that we can see the glory of God. And I'll just tell you a personal testimony from this. I believe that that spirit is already here doing that work. And we have a, it's about the father's love and about, the orphan heart that we all walk around with and the heart of sonship that God's trying to establish in us. It is so powerful and foundational. His plan wasn't that we have messed up childhoods and be in abusive situations or situations where our parents weren't what what he wanted them to be in our lives. So while we can't maybe change our parents, his heart is to reconcile us with all that junk that went on in our lives and restore us to his heart because ultimately he is the father. He's the father that we all want. And we get an earthly version that comes so far short of it that he's got to come and kind of fix all that junk that went on. But the good, the good news is he's in the business of fixing that junk. And when you get it fixed, you'll be shocked at how much of the junk manifests in your life has come from that root. That root is at the bottom of a lot of our junk. And a lot of the reasons we do the things we do are not have nothing to do with anything we're aware of but go deep into the roots of our child. Even the secular psychologists and prophets know this. They don't have it right, and they don't know how to fix it, but they recognize there's stuff that happens in childhood that affects us for the rest of our lives. That's why God has prophesied and said, one is coming who will do this reconciliation, and that one is Jesus. The other thing that He wants us to be reconciled with is those who are in authority over us. A lot of employers and teachers and even pastors that have been in our life who there's been brokenness with in our relationships. He wants to bring restoration. And as a biblical example of that, um, I'll just, actually, before I go to that, I just want to share something on fathers and sons. One of the first things God had me do when I came to the Lord was to go back to my parents and to ask them for forgiveness for all the things that I had done. He went, you notice he wasn't really interested in what they had done at this point, he was interested in what I had done and they didn't know the lord they weren't walking with god i didn't come i came from a lukewarm you know lutheran family where the spirit of god was not alive at all we went to confirmation until we were 13 and once they felt like they fulfilled their obligation they kind of released us to do whatever we wanted and i thought jesus was like a nice story and stuff but it didn't seem like the reality of the kingdom was anywhere to be found anybody have that experience before of looking around and just kind of seeing people go through kind of civil civic christianity You know, kind of going to Sunday and going through the motions, but it doesn't seem real or alive. I've seen a lot of that. And that didn't interest me at all. Um, But then the real God got a hold of me and let me know that he really did have a plan and it did involve Jesus. And whoa, I had no idea (laughs) he was as big as he was. Um, But he put it on my heart to go to them. And I went to them and I apologized for my rebellion, for all the. I mean, I was horrible. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but. Um, I can't imagine that you were all angel children. That there's nothing that you guys did in response to even mistreatment that could have given anyone, you know, cause for shame or embarrassment, or let alone the, the create your creator. And God gave me very specific things, even specific situations that I had been in as a youngster, that He showed me that He wanted me to ask them for forgiveness for. And it was perfectly in line with His scriptures. He said, "Honor your father and mother." and things will go well with you. It's the only commandment, there's a promise that goes with it. If you honor them, it's not based on how good they are. It's not based on how wonderful a people they are. It's based on God's heart. You do it because God says, and He gives you the grace to do it. And when you do it, the kingdom expands and explodes. And I'll tell you what, I went to my father and my mother, and when I went to my father, I could tell the Holy Spirit just hit him like a ton of bricks. It smacked him. He was like... And I'd been evangelizing him. And it hadn't been going that well because he had a Ph.D. So he had that going against him. But when that happened, he could not deal with the reality of Christ that was before his very eyes. Because sons don't repent to fathers. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever just felt the spontaneous urge without God to go and, and repent to somebody? Are you kidding me? That's the last thing we do. We're too busy coming up with all the reasons. They're so messed up. My dad was so messed up. That's why I'm so messed up. It's all my dad. Well, maybe. But what God's interested in is you being right with God. And you do that by going and taking responsibility for what you've done. My mom took the reconciliation, and, and she, there was like no emotional reaction. So if I based it on what, she, what happened to her, or what I saw happen to her, I would have been pretty discouraged. But I had already done it with my dad and I knew it had a huge impact on him. So I just did it out of obedience. But something in the spirit broke. Some hold over our relationship broke loose. And God drew both of them into the kingdom. My dad is on fire for God. On fire for God. PhD and all. still gets in the way. But, but he's a spirit-filled Ph.D., which is much better than a fleshy Ph.D. <laughs> and he's doing ministry and evangelism, going visiting people who are dying on their deathbed and telling them about Jesus and giving them the testimony of how his son came to the Lord. And when, he, when his son came to the Lord, he couldn't deny the reality of God. And he, he walked back into his office one day and he just said, God, if you're real, just give me the faith to believe. And he said, before the words came out of his mouth, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and had the faith to believe. Now I believe that, it was, that a piece of that was that reconciliation. Because that was an undeniable witness for Jesus. Nobody can deny humility and repentance. Now if you go into the book of Philemon, we're not going to go there right now, but if you, if you remember the story, it's the story of a slave who ran away from a master. And he ran into the Apostle Paul. And of course, when you run into the Apostle Paul, you have the tendency to give your life to Jesus. And, and Philemon gave his life to the Lord, and Paul said, You need to go back, and you need to be reconciled with your master. Now, this is a slave. Now, the penalty for slaves running away is death. So you can imagine how he might have been a little bit apprehensive about that. But Paul wrote a letter in the scriptures called Philemon. It's a letter that he sent with the slave to bring back to his master and say, I'm now a brother in Christ. You know, receive me and forgive me for what I did. Is reconciliation a big deal to God? That He would put somebody's life on the line and send Him back to do it? Even in a situation that was hostile to the person who was delivering the message? Absolutely. I'm going to give you a couple other examples of, of this in action. Not just the Word. Aren't testimonies powerful? I mean, you can talk about Scripture all night long, but unless you've got a testimony to back it up, you're like, yeah, whatever, man. But testimonies show you the reality of this.